Welcome to the Maintainable Software Podcast, where we explore the art of improving existing software with seasoned practitioners who have helped organizations work past the problems often associated with technical debt and legacy code. I'm your host, Robbie Russell. On this episode, Mark Cornea, who is an official maintainer and major contributor for the Oh My Z Shell project. Mark joins us today from Barcelona, Spain. Mark Cornea, welcome to Maintainable. Hi, Robbie. Thank you. So, Mark, as you reflect on your experience in this industry, what do you believe are a few common characteristics of, dare I say, well-maintained software? Well, thanks for the question. I didn't expect it. <laughs> I, th- I feel like we have to define what, what well-maintained means, because obviously if software is perfect, then it doesn't need to be maintained, and that's not considered well-maintained. I mean, it it works and it's nice to uh, make changes, but that's not something you you do this unless you're God or something. I think that well-maintained software is, is like a project that you continuously maintain every time that you make a change. So the next time that you have to make changes, you see, like, what is this code doing even though you wrote it? Uh, so, so you say, I'm going to make a comment. And the next time that you go there, you read the comment and you say, yeah, that's, that's what it does. Uh, so you do all these things. You make comments, you refactor code that is repeated and all of these maintenance changes. That means that you get the code to a better uh, state. So yeah, that's, that's my long-winded answer. You know, know that I know that you work quite a bit in open source, and we'll die. We're going to dive into some of that for sure. And I'm curious, like, do you feel like that perspective applies? It doesn't matter whether or not it's like a company's internal proprietary software project versus an open source software project. Does it feel like that's a kind of like a shared, or do you see any major differences there around what it is to be considered a well-maintained piece of software? Well, I think I feel that the the baseline is is on another level. Like internal code doesn't need to be super clean, super polished, because it's just for the few people in the team that are gonna use it and edit it and write it. I think that's that's a very common problem that companies have when having to open source something that they have to make it clear, uh, make it clean and allow other eyes to see it and understand it better. Yeah, that's that's a different standard for open source software that needs to be more more uh, clean and polished than, than internal code. You mentioned there's more eyes on it. It's just, do you feel like that's because it's more of the benefits of open, that piece of software or that project can be used by people or understood by people? Or is it because you're putting that out there and and the vulnerability of like other people seeing it and worrying about like the critique you're going to get from someone that comes across your code and says this is wrong, you're doing it wrong, Mark. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a part that uh, you're open to criticism. Also, I think there's the other side that uh, proprietary code needs to meet a certain schedule and you need to th- get features out the door and then you take a lot of shortcuts and this is not something that you have in open source 
projects, at least on the amateur ones. I want to say amateur, but that's not the... Because there, obviously there are open source projects that are backed by huge companies, and those are uh, also directed by a project manager or whatever. That's a part of it, that you have to polish things before before you put it out there, and you have the capability to do so. I'm out of curiosity, Mark. How, how long ago did you start contributing to open source projects? Well, the first time I contributed to a project was in 2011 with a project for the university that doesn't matter, but it generated schedules for for new students. Yeah, that's that was a small thing, and then the major my major contribution to open source was a start on 2015 to my seashell, of course. So I've been there seven years. Okay, nice. And for those listening who might not be familiar with OmaZshell, what is it? That's a good question. So OmaZshell is a framework for your shell, in this case, Zshell, which is different from Bash, but uh, it's similar. What it allows is to install and use different themes. You can personalize your the look and feel of your terminal and you can plug in functionality for other projects that you use regularly on the on the terminal, like programming language or a particular tool for systems administration, Kubernetes, all of these things. And there's there's like two hundred plus plugins at the moment close to a hundred themes and you know the the good thing about it is, is that you can also use other things other themes and plugins from other projects it doesn't need to be all on my seashell do you need to be how how advanced of a hacker do you need to be to use on my seashell oh that's a good question actually not much you can Install it the first thing you do when you get a Mac, because it already has Zshell. You run this little installer. When it finishes, you get a nice-looking theme, the ability to enable other plugins, and you just read the documentation, and it's it's really not, not difficult. Hmm. Interesting. And so why would I want to, as a developer, you know, I've, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm coding in, like, VS Code or... Sometimes, like people on my team tell me, actually, oh, you want to like you can use like Git on the command line. Is that something you can you can use with OMIZ shell? Yeah, and you can do more than that. You can run Mercurial if you want. Uh, it's it's not the most chosen path, but uh, yeah, you know SVN, which is also used by some projects. Well, you can. Program in Python if you like having need dependency management. You can use virtualenv. You can do all these things, and you can even write it from within VS Code because it has a terminal. So, oh right, that's right. I was pairing with a coworker recently, and they had like a little black box thing that would show up, and I could type. They were typing into it when we were pairing, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I run git commit messages here, open up things." So. Do you have a favorite font? 
for your terminal? Yeah, uh, I'm a Cascadia font, uh, Cascadia Code uh, fan, which is by Microsoft. So it's actually the the mountain range. Well, there's a couple. Of, it's an area of. So you're in, you know, as I mentioned in the intro, you're you're in Spain in Barcelona, right? And so I live in the Pacific Northwest in the United States. So it's like like Microsoft's headquarters is like a couple hundred miles north of us for context, uh, maybe 150 miles to 200 miles, give or take, uh, up, by, up by Seattle. And I live further south in Portland. But the Pacific Northwest area, there's a mountain range. And it goes, and the, but they call this region, there's like, we have a Cascadia mountain range. It's a, a series of volcanoes that goes from like up the, the Pacific, like north of California. So we've got, uh, there's volcanoes in Oregon and Washington and in um, British Columbia, which is in Canada. So that area is called, we call it the Cascadia region. It's kind of like a, it's like a, a regional thing. And as a, I'm a soccer fan, football for everybody that's not in the United States, uh, we have like a Cascadia Cup. So Cascadia becomes like a thing we talk about. We have a flag for Cascadia for the region. So it's like in a region. And there's been a lot of like conversations over the years. Nothing like super serious, but like us seceding from like this area becoming its own country at some point. So it's like, so Cascadia is actually like a, a regional thing. We have a flag um, with a tree in it. I'll, I'll, I'll show you the, um, so the font um, anyways is named after that area nice then i'll use it more i think i had cascadia installed on a previous laptop and i just looked right now and it looks like i'm set up to use menlo right now so i should go back and download that again all right i went we're going down a weird path here mark i think we should let's get back uh, i apologize uh to everybody listening so you have all these themes like what's what's the default theme Do they all have like cool names yeah, actually, the the default theme is called Robbie Russell for some reason. I don't recall what why that is. Wow. So let's talk a little bit more about you know you know you've been working on the Omaze Shop project since 2015, and so this is for anyone listening. This is 2022, seven years later. Projects like Omaze Shop consistently have let's say a, a steady pace of probably four to five hundred open pull requests at any given time from lots of contributors right that's probably not just a few people that are core maintainers of the project that are uh creating all those pull requests this is coming from a wide range of people and contributors what are some effective strategies that you found to organize and like triage all of that so you're right we have a lot of requests and we enjoy all of them I want to say what I've been doing over the years or what we've been doing over the years is to find a way to categorize them by some metric like for example at the beginning we we didn't have any labels and we didn't have a way to say I want to do all of this Right now I have time and I want to say I'll focus on this particular plugin. Like, for example, the, the Git plugin receives a lot of PRs, uh, pull requests. And so what I would do is I would make a ad hoc search for, for the plugin and that would generate 
PRs from things that weren't for the Git plugin. So one iteration over that basic uh, approach was to download all of the PRs, see what the files they changed, and say, if these files are all within this same plugin, say, this PR is for this plugin. And with that, I would do it manually and run it like each week or something, and then say, which are the PRs with most PRs, uh, the plugins with most PRs, and, and say, I'm going to make a, an effort to like get out all of this in in one sitting. And then we adapted that to make labels. Uh, we added a bot. And now with the new projects beta or GitHub issues beta from GitHub, uh, you can say the specific field for each issue and say, this PR is for this plugin. And then you have a nice UI. You can filter. This is a table. This is a Kanban board. Uh, you can move PRs from one state to another. You can assign them and move to a different iteration. And so that's the current state of the project. Like it's become more project managed. Yeah, that's that's the current method to to manage all of these PRs. And I feel like I missed something, but yeah, you can ask. And I'll talk about a particular uh, section of this. One of the things that I can imagine is that with people contributing, like so many people, like I don't remember what the number of contributors right now. So it's a little, it's over two thousand people right now that have had code contributed and accepted by you know, by the project into it. So that's a lot of people, um, a lot of code, and I'm assuming that not everybody that sends a PR has their PRs get accepted. For for those listening that might feel like, oh great, it's nice, you know, people are spending some of their time contributing some ideas, whether it be a new plugin or maybe some new um, or adding to an existing plugin. And what happens in this scenario where you're like, this isn't quite fit. This doesn't work for us. We're not, we don't, how do you go about uh, declining or rejecting or uh, saying no to people? Do you have any advice for people out there that might feel like, oh, I don't want to tell people no and be mean, but how, how do you navigate that? So we don't really have a policy for this particular issue, even though it's the most common one. A lot of the PRs we get are for specific aliases, like aliases are things where you can shorten a command and you, instead of running, I don't know, git commit dash m and your message, you can shorten that and say gcms or gcmsg, I think. And you save keystrokes. But the problem with that is that it's really specific to each particular user and workflow. And so there are a lot of PRs that don't get prioritized because they don't necessarily add to the rest of the users. Like maybe you're going to use this a lot, but that's an edge case. And so, so what we do with these things is we don't prioritize them and sometimes they close themselves and sometimes we have to say, no, we're not going to do this because it doesn't seem 
worth it for the rest of the users. But I feel like we can do this better, like especially if we document all of our decisions and make it into a policy that's that's going to be a lot more easy to say, hey, that's documented here. For this case and this other case, then that's not possible. You can like fork it or make your own plugin or you can even set this in your own file like it's not really difficult to do that so so yeah i think that my best suggestion is to document all of your decisions make them policies and then that's that's like gonna enable you to close a lot of issues we'll be back with our interview with mark in just a moment hi it's me Robbie, I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank you for making time to listen to the Maintainable Software Podcast. If you're finding these conversations valuable, please consider rating us on Apple Podcasts with a five-star or a two-star or one-star, depending on how you're feeling at the moment. It would be it'd be awesome. Uh, the more we get at that, the more things pop up and things. And I think you can vote, rate us now on Spotify as well. Also, is there anyone that you think I should be interviewing on Maintainable? Shoot me an email to Robbie with a Y at maintainable.fm. And now let's get back to our interview with Mark Cornea. I talk with a lot of people on the show about the importance of like automated tests. And in this ter- terminal world, is there a lot of, is there much tooling out there that you can lean on to, I don't know if we're able to test the behavior of everything, but at least like what sort of things can you do to help with the uh, quality control as things are being sent in? Is there anything that, that happens before you even look at a PR that you're able to automate? Yeah, so that's uh, an issue with the project because it supports a lot of different environments and configurations. The easiest path would be to add a test when you support something. Like for example, there is a plugin that loads some tool for every available distribution or platform like macOS or Ubuntu or what have you. The way to test that would be to run that on that particular system and that's not feasible for for our project. What you can do though is to, what you do with functional testing, you extract logic and you test that logic. That's possible to do, like there are a lot of projects that have testing for that. That kind of thing is not that uh, useful for us because we don't really have a lot of logic. We have particular behaviors that adapt to the environment. So if this file is present, do this. If this file is not present, do that. And that's that's not really useful to test. So yeah, that's, that's kind of a bummer, but uh, yeah, that's, that's how it is. What are some of you, the big picture plans and goals for like going forward with OMAZ shell? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this myself, not, not speaking for the project. 
but I would like to have a way to like undo all of the things that I said previously because you know I've, I've been working with this code base for seven years and there are a lot of issues that have been made and a lot of PRs and I've seen that even though there are most of the things that are untestable there are some logics or behaviors that are being repeated and one of the things I would like to do this year is to create a kind of like an API for plugins so that they can leverage common code base that can then be tested and then make more complex behavior. Like for example, we don't do a lot of async and this is a lot of uh, super advanced, but we don't do a lot of async logic. So your themes normally uh, run synchronously with your changes. Uh, and that's that's an issue with, uh, for example, Git, the Git prompt, because it has to read all of the state of your repository. And some, some Git repositories are super big, like, for example, uh, the Linux kernel or some Google projects or, you know, all these things. And yeah, that having that API or common logic would enable us to to implement this in a much more straightforward fashion and super clean like I, I would love to see that I'm curious they're taking a quick step back as well like how is how, for you mark how has working on a project like oh my Z shell impacted your life all good ways like I've I've made a lot of awesome people I've grown up into this project like i feel like i've matured as a person and as a developer i've learned soft skills which are super important you know i've been able to touch a lot of people's machines like that's a weird way to put it but my code has been in a lot of people's machines and you know, that, that brings me some satisfaction at the end of the day, yeah. I think one of the fun things about open, about open source projects, it's hard to get a good gauge. Like, we don't know how many people's machines you're probably, you know, you've you've touched. But I know a lot of people use Omaze Z Shell. And there's not, like, a, a, a way to capture all of that. We can only get a sense of, like, how many people have forked the project or how many people have started it on GitHub or follow it on Twitter and a subset of some higher number that, you know, we may never know. Right. And so that's, I know it's pretty awesome. It's, I was at a conference recently about a month ago and it seemed like a lot of people knew what OMC show there was. Um, and that was, so that's pretty, pretty awesome to be like, I know Mark, Mark works on, on OMC show. You should talk to him. I'm going to, I'm going to, I should have him on maintainable at some point. Uh, and he does such a great job maintaining OMC show. It's also maintainer month, I think, for GitHub. So I know that they're doing a bunch of things. Did, uh, did you get the, a chance to attend the few day event that they put on? Yeah, yeah, I did. Got a lot of very positive, actionable feedback for the project. And more than that, I, I saw that a lot of maintainers are struggling with the same things. And we have the same challenges and we can give help to each other and talk 
through things that uh, open source projects are going through, and that's that's awesome for GitHub to to do that. Curious if there's any if there's there was one action item that you feel like you're going to be able to try to experiment with like that came out of that. So yeah, that's that's the part about doing policies and documenting your decisions. That's mo- the, for the most part that came out of there. Also, a way to like some some directed feedback for me, but like not directly at me, but like I felt called out that I was putting myself into a lot of decisions that make me a single point of failure. And yeah, that call out was was necessary, and I'm gonna try to change that, like document what I'm doing. For the most part, was was all good things. Yeah, I enjoyed it. All right. So for those listening, I mean, I I'm not un- unfamiliar with Omaze Shell, so I'm just gonna admit that. But um, Mark does most of the heavy lifting on Omaze Shell, and but you were the first person that as me as an open source maintainer that I felt like, oh, I can bring someone else and like give you the keys and be like, here, keep, do more than I can do because I definitely have capacity constraints. And how do you maintain your own capacity to feel motivated sometimes to keep working on it or to get into it? Because it can be daunting to look at that many open points. I know you've found ways of organizing it, but how do you find the drive to keep wanting to work on it? So there are two things that I do with how I engage with the project. One is by knowing that I have this responsibility. If I don't attend my emails and the comments, then that's not going to get merged. That's not going to get fixed. Uh, You have the keys, so you should use them. That's the part of me that is nagging me to do the things. And then the other part is the challenges that I see. For for them, I have intrinsic motivation. Like when I see something that is a technical challenge, I, I want to say, if I have the time, I will get into it and maybe spend two hours and get someplace. But for the most part, they are obligations. But in the good sense, like I like doing that. Just being open with the audience is always just something I'm curious about is like do people feel like they're trapped in this thing or do they f- still find a lot of joy in it? And it's a hard thing to to know after, you know, a number of years and stuff like that. So this, I think admittedly, like you know, if I was thinking about, you mentioned seven years now that we've been collaborating in, in on this and we have other people that are contributing and, you know, a couple thousand people have contributed code. So it's not like it's just, you it's been one of my longer working relationships with anybody so i can't believe it's seven years so it felt right to have this we were like we should spend some time talking about this on the on, on the podcast at some point so thank you mark yeah and we got there with that is there a non-software non-coding non-technical book that you find yourself recommending to people on a regular basis that you feel like is helpful for software engineers yeah uh actually that's a really easy question to answer um i really enjoyed this book by tavia butler uh actually it's a trilogy but the third book wasn't written 
And the first part is called, I don't know the translation in English. Uh, what, what is this? The sower something? The parable of the sour? Sour? Yeah, and the parable of the talent, talents, which is the second part. Yeah, the, it's kind of sci-fi meets the handmade tale, but it was first. So I don't know, it, it really was an easy read and I really enjoyed it. And I hope they make a TV show of it. Hmm. All right, I'll definitely include links to that in the show notes for people. I hadn't heard of that one before. That's, that sounds interesting. Cool. And, you know, for those listening, where can folks follow you and find your thoughts and ruminations about software and development online? So I'm at Mark Cornella, uh, M-A-R-C-C-O-R-N-E-L-L-A at uh, Twitter. And the same at GitHub with just M, M Cornella. Awesome. Well, it's been such a delight having you join us on Maintainable, Mark. Thanks for stopping by the talk shop and about open open source, Oh My Z Shell, and your... <laughs> yeah, thank you, Robbie. This was really enjoyable. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you.